three, two, one. System and Soul, welcome back. You've got McKenzie and Benj here for part two of, I think, four in our series on Renegades, Break Rules, Find Freedom, the book for founders, and as we say in parentheses, and the people who suffer them. Uh, we say that with love, though. So uh, we kind of set up the book, the premise, the origin on our last episode. If you missed that, jump back in. Today, we're really going to start on where we transition from the problem and the situation we're in to the solution. But we start with setting some groundwork. So before we get into the six shifts, which we'll do next time, uh, that you need to make to go from a renegade founder to a renegade leader, you got to set some groundwork. So that's what we're here to talk about, Mackenzie. I know you... um, uh, this was this was fun in your journey as well as your authoring at the same time of like really leaning into all of these aspects. You know, one thing I will say, I don't remember if I said this last time, but um, I feel like that's this is something that's really special about the approach that we're taking and the approach we take with all the work we do. It's been totally amazing and unique to any role I've ever played in an organization. And it's been totally unique in how we are talking about a business model, leadership, how how to grow as a leader. Because I think we could just say, here's the six things you can do or the 20 things you can do. And that's like putting a Band-Aid, you know, on something. And I think eventually the all of the it's addressing symptoms, right? And not the root cause. And I think what we really wanted to do with this and what we had to like take, you know, several steps back on is like, we don't want to be prescriptive. Like we want to help transform the life of the founder, the life of the team and do it in a way that we're not just like solving symptoms we're addressing root root causes. So um, (laughs) what I, you do this to me all the time and we do this in this book to the the people that will read it but ask asking them to dig a little deeper and push a little harder and um look within yourself ask yourself the hard questions um and i think you know i personally have done that journey just as much as i think you have even more so and hopefully we get to hear about that um and i think we're going to ask the people who the founders who really want to make this transition, we ask them to really lean in, look in the mirror first before we before we move forward. Yeah. Yeah. There's um, at System and Soul, one of our values that we have and, and relate back to often, we just say, do the work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but all of our values have these dual meanings. And so do the work is the obvious, you know, you've got a job to do, do own, own your part of it and, and get in there and do the work. But there's a second meaning, which is the the internal work. And that's really where we give each other the freedom and the encouragement to do the the personal work. We we're, we have a belief at um, System and Soul, and we'll get into this a little bit why, but that leadership is about how you lead yourself. 
And so we're going to talk about you as a leader, your identity, how you show up. And then we're going to talk about your team. And so when we talk about laying the groundwork before we get into these six mostly mental shifts that we need to make, we need to talk about our internal life as a leader and the team that we build around us. So Mackenzie, why don't you tee us up on maybe the backstory or the premise? If you, if you've been an avid listener to this podcast, this will not be a new idea. Um, probably going to reference a few episodes in the past of, of some people who helped shape this thinking, but give us the premise of what we need to do with our identity as the, as the leader within an organization. Yeah. Uh, so we talk about this, like you said, if you've been around for any amount of time, you're working with one of our coaches or, um, you are a coach, you probably heard us talk about this, but there's this idea that who we are as leaders is so, so much more important to our effectiveness than what we do. And I don't want to give away the whole, uh, the whole story, but um, there's, there's been some research done in the last, I guess, decade or so, um, looking at tens of thousands of um, executives, leaders, and me- trying to measure, like put a real metric around what makes them effective and what they do. And where they landed, there were uh, 10 attributes that came out of this study. And um, the two that rose to the top that made up more than three fourths of that effectiveness was being inwardly sound and others focused. And that has everything to do with who someone is and not what they're able to, what they're able to do, how they're able to perform. Um, the, the other eight attributes have everything to do with how they perform, communicate effectively, marshal resources, motivate and inspire others. All of that stuff is so important. But I, and I think that's what, you know, we see the outcomes of those things. Those things are what we attribute revenue to, what we attribute results to. But at the end of the day, there there's this data that shows 77% of a leader's effectiveness is starts with those two things. Yes. And so we, we felt like that's where we have to start. That's where we have to start with any founder, where any founder has to start. Otherwise, how how does the business grow beyond them? Um, and I'd, I'd love to kind of throw it back to you, Ben, to expand on that, but also share how you came to accept that as a reality. Because I think... Yeah. Yeah. Well, bring me back to my part of it if I don't get there. But I think that there's like maybe an example of how this shows up that, that I, I notice it now that I've been aware of this for several years as a coach sitting in the session room. One of the things that I'm, I'm aware of is like, how much of this room are we dealing with? Uh, is it, is it proactive or are we dealing with someone's baggage that they brought in? And the number one way to see if somebody's baggage, how real that is, how uh, elevated it is, is either like there's a lot of ego, it's all about them, or the the other side of that that people don't think of as often, but it's the same, is just their defensiveness. 
How, mm. how defensive are they for new ideas, for uh, criticism, feedback? Uh, and, and those, those two things, if we talk about inwardly sound and others focus, those two things are indication that there's something going on that's about them and they're not okay on the inside. And now disclaimer, me too, like all of us, different days, different degrees. Um, I'm prone to, uh, a, a little bit of an emotional roller coaster. There are days where I show up and I feel like I am 99% inwardly sound and others focused. And there are days where like I struggle to show up, uh, because it's hard to get out of my own head or my own, whatever is going on. So we're all on this journey. I think the journey is more important. How, how hard are you pressing into this idea to grow past who you were yesterday is way more important than where you are on your journey. So don't get caught up comparing yourself to anybody, but you from last week. Um, so that's my encouragement. And, and that's, that's what it looks like when leaders aren't there. I think the first time this showed up in my life where this idea of my identity being tied, having, having some sort of connection to the business was really probably in my absolute lowest point in my business career. I uh, had had my business for four or five years. We came off a year of giant growth. So uh, in retrospect, what had happened was I had allowed that success to put these labels on me, or I just did it to myself, young, creative, entrepreneurial, successful leader, whatever. I had all these, these, I just, I always picture them as post-it notes on my, on the front of my shirt, right? I've, I've assigned these labels to myself. Well, I made a, a, a critical mistake or decision that was short-sighted and it really put the business in a very difficult situation. So what happened, not only was the business in a difficult situation, but now my, my personal identity value as a human being was just ripped off. I, I felt like uh, naked and afraid, right? Because all these labels just got ripped off me. So I'm standing there. I don't know who I am. I don't know why I matter. And I was a uh, shout out to, to John Ritchie, my coach of 15 years, mentioned multiple times on this podcast and in the book. But he he's we're sitting across the table from each other and this was this i i can't tell you how devastating this was and this this was like one of those rock bottom moments um i was happily married i had just had my first child and he was healthy and so like the the world the things that really matter should have been they were they were good you know and um john just leans in and, and looks at me and says you know at the end of the day you've got to be able to answer three questions who am I? Why do I matter? And who is your audience? And that day he had to help me. You know, I was, I was in such a low spot. He had to help me walk through those questions and figure out what my answer to them. But what he was really getting at were three questions of identity. Mm. Who am I? And if I am my business, then my stability, my ability to be inwardly sound is only going to be as steady and sturdy as the business is, whether it's on the metrics or how many people are showing up in the office with problems, it's all going to be reflected. 
And if, if I'm in that reactive mode with my well-being in turmoil because the business is in turmoil, then I have no ability to show up for anybody because my, my own self, my own identity is fighting for survival. So that, that's when I went on this personal journey of what is identity? What is my identity? What is the leader of an, of, of an organization? And what is our connectivity to the business? What should it be as a leader? Um, and ultimately, I think taking that all the way to the extreme is when we get to the other side of that, again, journey, not destination, but you can start to encourage other people on their journey to becoming inwardly sound and others focused, which is touchy and taboo because it's messy and it's personal and uh, it, it's not professional. It's not the things that we were, you know, put your, put your being in a box and show up for work and do your job. We were taught that from, you know, first grade right? Sit mm -hmm. in your seat, sit in line, raise your hand, do as you're told. We don't need whatever you have to offer. And I think we, we miss an opportunity, maybe the opportunity as leaders, if we don't engage in some of these conversations, because that is where humanity lies. That's where dignity lies. And ultimately where we get to create the most impact and dare I say a legacy. Mm -hmm. Man, there's a lot of good stuff in there. I mean, I have a question for you, but I just want to, for those of you who want to think on those questions that Benge gave, who am I? Why do I matter? Who is my audience? I mean, you can spend a lifetime <laughs> working through those, but they're a great filter um, for how we make decisions, how we think about where we are, think about circumstance. Um, I'll, so, I'll give you one other one other okay. tidbit on that. Since then, I've I've um, so that I don't have to tell that big story. I, I've simplified it to this: is just who do you allow to sign your report card? Yes. Right. And and then if you can answer that, then you can get clear. You can't do this in reverse order, but it's who gets to sign your report card, and then what is the criteria to which you're being graded? Right. Mm -hmm. And now we've taken this out of this abstract emotional place and into a, okay. Cause most of us are driven by some people group, some person, some voice in our head that cares way less about us than we think that they do. Right. So mm -hmm. we're, um, another way you can, I, I mentioned like the ego and defensiveness. There's also a, um, I have a heightened awareness for people that I feel my expression is they're running from something, not running to something, right? People that are running to something are driven by purpose. They're driven by a, a passion, a desire, a healthy desire that people are running from something. They, they have their demons and they would rather do anything else than deal with them. Uh, and the way that they think that they should deal with them is by proving them all wrong. So they're all, they're out on this massive revenge mission, um, thinking way more about that other person or that other group or that other, that experience than that, than, you know, it's almost laughable because if they knew that you were working so hard to beat them, it would be a compliment to them, right? You're giving yeah. them control over your actions and, and 
so I just, you know, if anytime you feel like you're running away from something, it's a good time to stop and say, Whoa, something's going on here. I got to lean into this. Let's do the work. Yeah, absolutely. I, there's so much, there's so much here to consider that maybe has never been considered before. And you, you pointed out something that I kind of want to dig in a little further on. I've heard, I've heard this said, um, you know, just in from peers and, and I know there's a wide ranging perspective on this, like leadership stuff along with like the generating results stuff. And I, you were saying, you know, that some of this humanity and some of this, these, uh, personal development skills, like forever, it's been sort of divorced from the work that's being done. How do you, when you're talking with, I'm saying this for all the contrarians who are listening, but um, how do you how do you explain this for someone who's thinking to themselves or says, "I've gotten this far, like I've gotten this far. I've been successful. I'm yeah. I have I have the respect of a team. I have, you know, X Y Z. I have all of this the right stuff in place." So how is it that this is going to make a monumental or exponential difference for me? Yeah, that's a great question. And I don't think I would ever spend any energy trying to convince somebody that this is something (laughs) they should spend time on. Most people get here because something is broken. Mm -hmm. You know, they, uh, they can't keep people on their team. Their team can't perform. You know, there's some ways that it's showing up. It may be showing up at home. They might execute perfectly at work, but they can't take that, that ego or defensiveness and, and, uh, it shows up at home. And so, yeah, you've got a great business and you're on your third wife. Right. So like there's some, there's, I I don't know that I, if look, if you're not feeling like there's something to work on there, I'm not the one to convince you that, that there is, but if there is something to work on there, I think that there are some good fundamental questions that we can spend time wrestling with. Yeah. I know for me, like it took me, we've been working together for three, three or more years now. And it's taken me all that time to really uh, sit with the question of who gets to sign my report card and really understand that and start to apply that to those moments where I am reacting. I'm getting anxious because something's not working out and I'm afraid of what that's going to say about me and my leadership. And then I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like this, (laughs) this is not, we're not going down this road anymore, you know? And I think it's a, oh gosh, it's, it's game changing for the big stuff and the little stuff um, as we lead. So really powerful, really deep. Um, And why do you, I mean, so what, why do you think we have to start here? And especially as it relates to like the way that we, the way that we talk about doing the groundwork starts with the self. And then we're going to move into this conversation about how to build this team around you. Why do we start here though? Yeah. Well, I, I think that you're, you're leading into it because this is, this is the transition that if I'm going to build an effective team, you can either walk into it saying, I'm going to hire a lot of helpers that exist to serve me, or you can see it as an opportunity to pour yourselves into other people that multiply your own effectiveness. And 
that's just like one of those subtle, like yet huge mind shifts of like, mm-hmm. I, I get the opportunity. I, I am, I, I enjoy the fact that I get to be in your life and encourage you and challenge you. And, you know, just, I firmly believe that you've grown a lifetime in the three years that we've worked together. And if I can take 5% of that credit, then I will, and I'll, (laughs) I'll cherish it and I'll do it again, again and again. And so when we get into building the right team, it's either again, going to be all about me or it's going to be about something bigger than me. And so I've got to get my own stuff straight before walking into these other relationships. It's, it is a lot like a marriage. The first one we're going to talk about is an operator. It's a lot like a marriage and, uh, a marriage cannot be healthier than the unhealth of either one of the participants. Right. So it takes individual work to show up and be a great pair. And that's, that's what I'm, that's the lens looking at this, this team dynamic and the different aspects of building out your team. Uh, you've got to really start with who are you showing up as in this team dynamic? So I think we're ready to make a transition into, we've talked to, we've, we've talked a lot about all the work that we all need to do for the rest of our lives. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other part of the groundwork is, is building out that team. And I'm going to make an assumption here that, I mean, most, most of you listening, you built a team and maybe like Benj was describing you're, you've hired a group of people to do a group of tasks. Um, but we want to move out of what we want to help founders do. And what we talk about in this book is help them really move from that, you know, having a, having 20 people that report to you at all times and you're still chief everything officer to it being a, uh, a, a trusted team of owners of people that really care about this. And, and you feel like you can trust with a lot of the things that you're still holding on to. So um, you've done it. You've done a really amazing job with this personally. Um, and I know we've got a few categories of people. So do you want to just walk us through what those Yeah. yeah, Let's, let's go through them all and then we can circle back camp out on any of them that we, we need to, I think, um, these are not in an order of operation. So, so we have six of these different players on your power team, um, but they're not necessarily in an order. So depending on where you're at in your journey, you may have three of the four, excuse me, three of the six, you might have five of the six, uh, you might have zero of the six. And so I'm not necessarily prescribing which one's first. You can figure that out on your own. But let's go through these. So the first one is the operator. And if you are a renegade founder, um, you don't like systems, you don't like rules, you don't like follow up, but all those are good things. You need somebody that loves those things so they can take great ideas and and uh, objectives and get them over the finish line for the organization. We call that person an operator. Most organizations, you know, they have a CEO and a COO CEOs always figuring out the, the next product, the next customer, the next market, whatever the, the kind of future external thing is they're the, the, the main interface to what the market needs. And that operator is there shepherding 
and taking care of the organization. And that, that is an effectiveness, you know, to hit numbers and, and win, but also the care and feeding of the organization, making sure that the, the, the people and the culture is what you want it to be. So, uh, the operator is, is that number one right hand, you're going to battle together. You, you have lots of deep conversations. Don't hold anything back kind of behind closed doors and then, uh, come out as a unified front in front of the team. Uh, it's such a freeing moment when, uh, a visionary, when a renegade finally finds their, their match as an operator. And the biggest thing is trust because they've been the chief everything officer for a really long time. And so the trust level, uh, to pass it off, um, so often that operator's capable, you know, assuming you get the right person, they're going to be capable of doing it better than that renegade ever did. But there's the trust, uh, there because they've been the one having to do it all on their own. So that's the operator. The second one's the admin. Um, everybody knows what an admin is. We live in an awesome day and age where we can get fractional admins. We can get virtual admins. We can, uh, we can kind of right size what our admin need it need is. But when you, when you get to it and a certain point, which is earlier than most people think the multiplication effect of having an, an admin is huge because your value as a renegade leader does not live in your calendar. It does not live in your to-do list, in your inbox. It lies in the strategic things. And so if somebody else can protect you, protect your calendar, protect your email, um, represent you well, they can, they can actually multiply. They can do a much better job for you uh, than you probably could on your own. Uh, and they're, they're dedicated to it. So, um, I, yeah, I could go on and on and on, but most of that's obvious. So the third one's a coach. So um, if you think about what a coach does, a coach knows the game and they know their own players. They do some scouting on, uh, they, they might know the market, they might know the environment. There's lots of different kinds of coaches when we talk about business coaches. Um, you might want a coach that's specific to your ability to be inwardly sound and others focused. Uh, you might want one that's specific to an issue that you're having in business. There are people that I know that hire coaches and stay with them forever. And there are people that go through seasons with coaches because of their subject matter expertise in a specific area. But this is the, the coach um, and the next one are really the places where we're investing in ourselves. Uh, we, we are investing in our own capacity, our own capabilities, our own thinking. Uh, you know, if we're not getting better as leaders, if we're not growing, uh, then the organization's going to be stifled by that. So getting a coach that's got your back, they've got your best interests in mind um, and, and are helping you become the best version of yourself is absolutely huge. The fourth one is very similar, but it's a peer group. And so the coach, uh, you could use the, the wise saying that if you want to know what's down the road ahead, ask somebody on their way back, right? The coach can see the game because they've watched film, you know, a thousand times. They've been there. They've done that. They've seen this. 
peer group is a bunch of people that are at about the same place, learning the same lessons and they've got each other's back. I love the term allies in this regard, right? Mm -hmm. Like we might be in different industries. We might be in different cities, depending on how your peer groups put together, but we're allies in this game of business. And you know, things about parts of the business that I don't know. And I know things about parts of the business that you don't know. And so our ability to just share and encourage and be a resource, uh, a network connector when you need something, uh, you know, my peer group, that's the first place people go. If, you know, hey, I need a, an employment lawyer. Great. I've got your guy, right? Like somebody in there has your guy and you know that they're uh, in a, in some way like-minded because they're getting this recommendation from an actual peer. So your peer group's just huge, lots of different versions of that, lots of different formats, but you, you need your group of allies that you're in market with and they're safe space to ask some of those, those leadership oriented questions that you can't necessarily take back to your team. You need, you need an ex an outside voice in your head, uh, where you're safe to, to bring, all of yourself and all of the, the dirty laundry of the business. And the last one is the sixth of sixth is your leadership team. These are the generals that, that are going to battle with you, you know, and it's the people that own, uh, you're kind of slicing up your company, right? You've been the chief everything officer for a long time. And we're going to slice up the company into the core functions of the business. And we're going to get a general that's over each one of those. So different people, you know, have different titles. They might be chiefs. They might be presidents. They might be VPs, but they own this thing, this one segment of the business. And one of the hurdles that we have to help renegade founders get over to be renegade leaders is, uh, some of those slices of the business are actually their superpower. You know, it's the mm -hmm. thing that got them to where they are because they're so good. They're so knowledgeable. They're so natural within some of those slivers. There's some of them, they're probably not natural and they're glad to let those go. But the ones that they, they feel strongly about a lot of times it's a sales organization. A lot of times it's a, a product, you know, they're, they're heavily product focused. They know the product better than anybody else. And those are the hardest ones to let go. But the, those moments when you take somebody and say, hey, hey, I knight you general over this slice of the business, they're going to get such a massive up, uplift in that because you've, you've got help. You've got uh, new expertise, new leadership. But the biggest thing that, that um, most people overlook is those generals are taking care of their troops. And as great of intentions as that renegade founder has their ability, their follow through, not ability. It's the follow through. It's the cadence. It's the consistency of taking care of their troops disappears uh, because there's always something happening with the market or the business or the bank account or the, you know, whatever. So um, having somebody whose job is the, the strategy tactics and people within each one of those functions of the business is a game changer. Yeah. It's like the way I'm thinking of what you just said, it's like having insurance on your vision um, with 
you know, with not only your operator, but like you said, a whole leadership team, generals who can go and execute, who carry that vision, who understand it on a level that they can carry it down to everybody else. And then tag in that idea of in release on another's focused. If you can pass that along to that team of leaders, you've got, you know, people who are 100%, you know, trustworthy that are carrying out the day-to-day of your business for you um, so that you can go perform at your highest and best use. Yeah. Yeah. There is like a pinnacle, like mountaintop moment, I think, (laughs) when, when you've got all the right leaders, all the right generals over the different functions of the business and have full trust and confidence in them. Um, that is a absolute magical moment for any business owner. Why do you think, so this, I'm sure this is so different for every founder and every team. Why do you think, uh, why do you think we miss some of that with the leadership team with the operator with the, like with any of these, with any of these relationships, like I'm sure there's, you know, I've seen leadership teams we've worked with who have, you know, maybe they have three out of five leaders. They're like, they are so good, but we've got these like two toxic people <laughs> and they're like, how did we get here? And how do we move past this? Like, what yeah. do you, what do you say to that? Like, cause there's, there, I'm sure there's always people who are like, yes, I want to be a part of it, but we're not for the right reasons. You know, there's, there's a lot of stories. So there's a lot of reasons, but I'll give you the most common. The most common that we miss on almost all of these is because we were trained the wrong way. Most people that found companies don't go raise, you know, $5 million to start the company. They bootstrap it or they have a very, very fixed finite budget. So they have to be the chief everything officer, right? Mm -hmm. They have to be that renegade founder. That's just going to do whatever they need to in what I refer to as the barbarian phase of business. Like they just, you got to do what you, whatever you've got to do to get by and, and survive and thrive. I can't afford an operator. I can't afford an admin. I can't afford a coach. I can't afford a peer group. I can't afford a leadership team. And so we've got, uh, you know, the chief everything officer and their thousand helpers or 10 helpers, you know, however many they have, and they start to try to elevate people into leadership. Well, you hired somebody who was really good at doing a specific thing to help your business or to help your customer or to build your product. It's, it's the old analogy of taking the most successful sales guy, most productive sales guy and making him the sales manager. Well, you lost your most productive salesperson and the whole team hates working for this guy because he's not a, a people leader, right? He just wants right. to hit his quota. So the same thing happens in all these other functions of the business where we take uh, somebody that might be a world-class technician and we elevate them into a position that they don't really even want, let alone they're not wired or capable of. Uh, so that that's kind of why we end up with uh, one of my clients coined this structural debt We've got, we've got, uh, they're, they're a technical company. So technical debt is the things kind of living in the code that are old and you know, they need to be updated. Um, and so you've got this technical debt, same thing's true in the way that we build our organizations because we have to do it slowly over a long period of time and make mistakes and there's humans involved. We end up with structural debt. So, 
getting to the place where you have three great generals is going to make the fact that you have the three painful generals even more obvious. Yeah. Well, now, like you said, I mean, this is a, this is, we're going to incur this kind of debt over time and we're not going to make every right move with every person, even as we go, even with this new knowledge, right? How do you, can you tell them a little bit more about the formula for how we, the formula we put around this that kind of helps us in evaluating any of these relationships? There are some just like fundamental things that are like, they're like non-negotiables that you've sort of developed around who who's allowed in this inner circle, who can be on my crew, who cannot be on my crew, like whether it's leadership team or whether it's your coach or whether it's your admin or your operator, there's, yeah. there's some foundational things. Um, so I, I think there, there is the, the element that we talked about earlier, right. Inwardly sound and others focused. Once you're aware mm-hmm. of that and start to look for that, it becomes something of a filter. Uh, but we use, we use what we call healthy fit and healthy is what we use to measure the alignment of values that we have with this, you know, this other party. So the most important thing there is to know what our values are, what values work in this organization. Um, and once we have that, then we can, uh, ask some really creative questions to, to pull out. Does this other person that I'm interviewing for whatever position, uh, do they share that value? It doesn't mean it's their top one, or if we have four, it doesn't mean that our top four, but does it exist? Do they live that in some way in their life naturally? And that's how we're going to know if we have a, a, a fit on the healthy side. We call it healthy fit and fit is the second part. And that's an acronym that we use for looking at where this person should sit within the organization. So this is most specific to maybe an operator, an admin, uh, leadership team, maybe a coach, um, less so on the peer group side. But um, what we're looking for there is the F is fuel. Does it fuel their unique ability? We're always wired with some, you know, unique genius, some, some way that we operate that's different than the rest of the world. Uh, most of the time until we realize what this is, we think the rest of the world operates in the same realm that we do because it's so natural to us. Like it just flows. We don't think it's anything special and everybody has that. So we want to, we want to understand what that is and say, does this seat, is it going to get to fuel that? Like, is that going to become alive through having to do this specific job? The second thing, the I is impact. Can this person create positive, significant impact in this role that they're in uh, right now or the immediate future? And then the last one is timely. And we're asking, is, is this timely for the trajectory of this person's career and where we're at uh, in the trajectory of our organization. Uh, what I mean by that is there was a time when we needed a controller, but now we need a CFO, right? So that person might've been right for the controller, but now we need the CFO and those trajectories don't align. So you've, you've got to know both where you're at as an organization, what you need and where they're at in their career and what they need and make sure that you're honoring them by putting them in the right place. I just, I love I love that as a foundational concept for who we kind of let in this crew because 
because I think you need both the values elements and just like the competency, the the um, skill set, you know, performance. You need all of those things for there to be this like deep trust for the kind for the kind of work that we're trying to do here. Yeah. Um, so I think it's essential. All right, that's part two. We've we've set the stage, the groundwork, starting internally, moving to our team. And that will set us up for the six shifts we need to make to go from renegade founder to renegade leader. And we'll talk about it with our special guest on the next episode. In the meantime, jump on systemandsold.com forward slash renegades. And depending on when you're listening, you can either uh, pre-order or order your book.